We're talking money, but without the filters. It's the one thing that none of us can escape, but that we still can't talk about without cringing. I'm Victoria, Millennial Financial Advisor. And I'm Ellie, Money Coach and founder of This Girl Talks Money. Each week, we'll be having a no-holds-barred conversation about real-life money. Nothing's off limits here, so grab yourself a coffee or a cheeky glass of wine and settle on in. Hey, hey, happy March. How's things down in London? Hello. Oh my gosh, how on earth did it become March already? Things are good down here. Things are getting better. The sun is coming out. How is it up in Leeds? Yeah, literally just the same. Like everything's fine up here. Definitely a much more positive feeling. And yeah, the sunshine was so needed. My skin's literally turned gray. So that was such a great surprise. Anyway, what are we talking about today, Ellie? So today we've got a situation which is very topical at the moment. And it's all about home ownership. But before we get into that, then we need to do our regular feature, which is the best and worst investments of the week. So, Victoria, what have been your best and worst investments of this week? Okay, so best investment of mine is fresh flowers. I normally spend anywhere from like three to eight pounds. I actually find Sainsbury's roses to be really great, but I do buy myself flowers every single week. And even though it's such a small thing, they genuinely bring me a lot of joy at home. So that's my best for sure. Worst investment, oh God, automatic subscription after a free trial's ended that I forgot to cancel this is so embarrassing. I downloaded some health and fitness app to try and get me back into like healthy eating and healthy lifestyle. Uh, But on day two, it told me I need to restrict myself to 1200 calories a day, which I just was not impressed with at all. So decided it wasn't for me, but obviously forgot to end the free trial. And safe to say, I am not thrilled about the £20 I was billed yesterday. So yeah, that's my worst. What about you? What have you got? Oh my gosh, I completely know what you mean because this is one of those things I tell people all the time, you know, watch out about those subscriptions, but it's so easy to forget. But mine, so the best one this week was actually an investment of time, I'm going to say, because I spent about half an hour on hold as usual to O2 to negotiate a cheaper contract for one of my phones. And actually I managed to cut the cost that I'm paying per month from £40 down to £12. So that was totally worth that half an hour while I was just faffing around being on hold. But on the other side, we've got a bit of a dilemma over here with the worst because in an attempt to be healthy, I bought what can only be described as green water, aka soup, which my boyfriend described as being pond water. So it was safe to say I should have just stuck to the safer option, which was some other soup, something with a lentil or a chickpea, rather than spending £2 on a highly unenjoyable meal. Because for me, food disappointment really does ruin my day. Yeah, I feel you completely on food disappointment, but well done on the O2. That's really good. Uh, Anyway, tell me what's in your inbox today, Ellie? So today I have got an email here from Jess, who is 30 and living in London. And the email reads, 
The prospect of ever buying a home is mission impossible. I earn an average salary and I try to save each month, but it looks like I won't be able to buy a home in any time in the next decade. My friends and I are all in very different situations. Some have been gifted deposits by their families, whereas others haven't had financial gifts, but they're in relationships and they're looking at buying with their partners. Or some of them have had the option of living at home rent-free for a year to save. My parents aren't in a position to help and I'm single, so buying a property anytime soon is unlikely. But at the same time, I still feel under pressure to get on the property ladder sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think this goes back to that comparison issue, doesn't it? We're comparing ourselves to people around us who, as Jess says, are in a very different position to us. And we're also comparing ourselves to our parents' generation who were getting on the property ladder much earlier. But the reality is that the landscape is so different today. Even in the last 13 years, the average age of a first-time buyer in the UK has gone up to 34 years old. And that's six years older than first-time buyers in 2007, who were 28 years old on average. 100%. The reality is that the likelihood that we can all own our own homes by 30 is no longer realistic in 2021. But we're still holding ourselves to this expectation. And I've got some figures here for you from some Claro Money research, which shows that in the 1980s, so 40 years ago, the average house price was, wait for it, £16,000. Fast forward to 2021 and the average price is £240,000, which is an increase of 1,400%. And Of course, yes, wages have increased over that time, but even in the last decade, property prices have risen twice as fast as salaries. And that is just salaries. And it's not only salaries which are part of the problem either. Because have you seen how much the average deposit for first-time buyers is these days? First of all, I mean, if we weren't trying to keep this clean, there would definitely be some swear words happening right now. But... In terms of the average deposit, this is also pretty shocking, or it was to me anyway, probably because I've spent the last year back up north, where property prices generally do tend to be much lower. But the average deposit put down by a first-time buyer across the UK in 2020 was £57,000. And what's even more crazy is that this was a 23% increase compared with the year before, where the average was £46,500. Needless to say, London is a different story altogether. The average deposit for a first-time buyer in London in 2020, it's funny, we're laughing because it just sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? But this is the reality. In 2020, the average first-time buyer in London spent £130,000 on their deposit, which is almost as much as the total average mortgage in the UK of £138,000. Now, I've lived in London, and I'm well aware of the fact that salaries are so much bigger down there compared to the north. But the cost of living in London is so high, and I have no idea how on earth we're supposed to save these kinds of amounts while still renting. I mean, is it just the reality that most first-time buyers are now getting help from the bank of mum and dad? You've hit the nail on the head there. And 
yes, of course, some people are managing to get on the ladder alone, but even amongst the stories of people who do save their own deposits without help, often you'll read that they've lived at home, which is another form of help from family members. And I think it is important to remember that, you know, not paying rent is a huge benefit. And for those who don't have the option of living at home to save for a while or being gifted a deposit, it's a real challenge. And I found this bit quite mad. So according to Legal and General in 2019, parents gave 6.3 billion, not million, billion to help their children onto the property ladder. And in contrast, the 10th biggest lender lending mortgages lent £5 billion in the same year, which means that if the bank of mum and dad collectively were a mortgage lender, it would be in the top 10 alongside all of the big banks. Isn't that mad? Yeah, honestly, that is mind-blowing. I've got to say, I would never, I would never have guessed that. And in a way, I think it's really encouraging because I always like to see people having control when it comes to their finances rather than giving control over to the banks. But on the other hand, this raises the really important issue, which is that obviously people whose parents can provide financial support get on the property ladder, stop paying rent sooner and start to grow their own wealth, whilst people whose parents aren't able to offer support don't get on the property ladder till much later, rent for longer, and are clearly just at a complete disadvantage. Which brings me on to a really interesting situation that we've got going on at the moment, where people who have had the privilege of help often feel very awkward or embarrassed about it. They want to keep it quiet that they've had help, which leaves people who haven't had help wondering why they're struggling. So we have this continuous lack of transparency. And I can totally understand the awkwardness of having had help and not wanting to scream and shout about it. But it does seem that there's a huge benefit to being more open. What do you think, Ellie? I think there is and there isn't a benefit. Because you know that I am a huge cheerleader of talking about money and encouraging people to start those conversations, whether it's at home, at work, with friends... But I also completely appreciate the challenges that this poses. And in the last week, I saw a perfect example of how being open about your financial situation, especially when you're in what people consider to be a very fortunate position compared to the average person, can really backfire on you. Because I'm in the Refinery29 Money Diaries Facebook group, as I'm sure a lot of people are. And somebody posted anonymously, thankfully, about how to manage money with a household income of over £200,000. And oh my gosh, the comments were awful. The level of judgment and resentment was just really, really horrible to watch. And it really opened my eyes to the dark side of being open about your finances and being transparent about how you are doing financially, and how it can be turned against you. And it really did make me think that until we collectively, as women, can stop with this judgment towards each other, it's an an uphill battle. But that isn't going to stop us. We've got to keep on trying to have these conversations and being more open about it. 
Yeah, agreed. I think it is really difficult. And if you're coming from a place of privilege, it can be very hard to be open and honest about it. Because like you say, judgment and criticism, I think they're pretty much inevitable. But yeah, it seems we both agree that being more transparent is hugely beneficial. And I think you're right. We all need to just come together and sort of do our bit where we can. And I actually think me and you are in a great position to be talking about this because you're a relatively new homeowner and I'm still thinking about whether buying is even what I want to do, at least in the short term anyway. So whilst we're talking about transparency, my question to you is, how did you pay for your deposit on your flight in London? So I thought this may come up and in all honesty, I'm very open about it whenever people ask because I feel like, you know, we've got to lead by example. And first of all, it's important to note that there are two of us here, which makes a huge difference, of course. And we paid for the deposit through a combination of savings, which I started when I got my first job and then we carried on for a few years. And we were also very lucky to be gifted part of the deposit too. So that is the reality of the situation that we're in. But there is a huge point you raised there as well, which is the assumption that there is in the UK that buying a home is the right thing to do for absolutely everyone in their 20s or their 30s. But I feel like that's also a question we should probably take a step back and actually think about, right? I'll be honest, it's something that I've struggled with for a while. And it's something that I felt quite alone with because most of my family and friends absolutely want to buy a house ASAP. And a couple of years ago, I was really close to buying. And I just thought, what am I actually doing this for? And my gut feeling is that for anyone who feels pretty confident that they want to stay where they are for at least the next few years they're probably better off buying. But for someone like me who hasn't quite found somewhere that they'd like to settle, I'm still on the fence about whether it's worth it or not. I guess the main concern is that for people our age, buying a house normally means putting the majority of your life savings into a property, which is absolutely brilliant if that's what you want to do. But it's a huge commitment and it means that you don't then have that cash available to take advantage of other opportunities. So in my case, for instance, I put a lot of my savings into starting a business and I'm still debating whether I should use the rest towards a property or not. But one thing I do find interesting is that this feeling of being under pressure to buy seems to be a really British thing. And I don't think it's the same in other parts of the world, is it? You're right. It definitely isn't the same everywhere at all. And I think one huge factor that lies behind attitudes towards buying and renting is the system and the government and the protection that there is for the tenants, which is a lot better in certain parts of Europe, for example. Because in the UK, most tenancies last for about a year to two years, whereas Let's look at Germany, where the tenancies are infinite. You can actually rent your flat forever. So you don't need to keep moving flat, which is expensive, stressful, and obviously means that prices can keep going up and up and up every time you get a new tenancy agreement. 
So compared to the UK, where the average tenancy is two and a half years long, the average tenancy in Germany lasts for 11 years, which provides so much more security and stability for families especially. And from my experience at least, if renting was a more attractive option in the UK, there would be far less of a rush to buy property. And I know there are some brilliant campaigners out there who are doing work on this too, such as a Refinery29, Vicky Spratt, but it is a work in progress and it really does feel like in the UK it's a slow one and it doesn't feel like it's very high on the agenda of the government. Really interesting, Ellie. For those who definitely do want to buy a home, what do you think is the best route? Is it a case of simply doing what you can to save and sitting tight? The thing is there are options out there, but I think it is really important, like you said, to step back and ask if you're chasing your own dream or the dream that you think you should have because that's what society has told you. So without getting into the technicalities, the government has come out with a number of different schemes aimed at helping people to get into the property market. And as with everything out there, there are pros and cons to all of these. A lot of people in the world of money would like to dismiss a lot of these schemes such as shared ownership because they're like, well, just save more money. But I think that's really reductive. And I think that there is a real mixture of experiences that people have had. And I think that is what is really important to keep in mind, doing your research and doing the reading. I don't love all of the fact that people often say, you know, these schemes are useless, and you need to save a 20 plus percent deposit, because again, it's not realistic for everybody. What I think is that what it highlights is the fact that conversation around property is really packed with privilege. So I would say, take the time to research both sides of the coin when it comes to shared ownership, help to buy, and these new government-backed 95% mortgages that are coming soon. Because they aren't all golden tickets to home ownership at all. And they can end up being more costly in certain circumstances, but they do also work well for many people, depending on your individual situation. So it really is a case of doing your research and figuring out what is right for you. Yeah, so many good points you make there. And I actually think we could definitely cover some of the options and the help out there and the pros and cons in another episode, because I think that would be really helpful for people. But I'm afraid that that's all we've got time for this week. As always, I have absolutely loved talking about this. And this is one of my favourite subjects to talk about. So let's definitely do another episode if people want to hear it about home ownership property in the UK. But I am going to hand over to you this time to leave us with a quote this week. Okay, I am going to steal one from Drake, who we all know and love. He says... It's never too late to realise what you want in life and it's never wrong to fight for it. Wow, we all could do with a little bit of that Drake inspiration, so I'm taking that into the rest of the week with me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And if you like the podcast, then pretty please subscribe, follow, share, feedback to us, let us know your thoughts and join us next week. Bye.